You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hi, it's Erica. Hi, it's Shannon. And hey, it's Grace. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. We actually have um, a new person working with us. She is doing some research. Her name is Melanie Lees, and she actually researched the story for me. So I am basically going to be her voice. She did wonderful research. So thank you so much, Melanie. Um, So I'm just going to dive right into it and let's see what she has for us. So 2003 was a record year for Pittsburgh homicides. While per capita, Pittsburgh's homicide rates are still significantly lower than most of the medium and large size metropolitan areas in America, it hit its highest of that entire decade at 70 total, which is 19.9 per 100,000 of its population in 2003. This is in contrast to 4.9 in Pennsylvania and 5.5 in the U.S. as a whole. And that's per FBI statistics. Wow. So that's still a lot. 19.9 versus 4.9 in the rest of the state. That's a lot. Big difference. And especially if it's not as much as other metropolitan areas. I mean, I've never really looked at the statistics. It just, you just think, oh, yeah, in the city, it's going to be higher. But that's insane. Mm Mm-hmm. It also mimics the current rate in 2022 of 71, which is also the highest Pittsburgh has seen in the last 10 years, which doesn't make me super comfy because my sister lives there. So great, great start. (laughs) Be worse. Could be Philadelphia. I know. You're right. You're right. Good choice, Liz. Good choice. Um, The 2003 trend was attributed to increased drug use and a poor economy. Many of these homicides had connections to the abuse of heroin, crack, and cocaine, according to the Pittsburgh police assistant chief at the time. Typically, slayings occurred when addicts turned to robbery or sex work for money to buy more drugs, and others occurred during conflicts between drug dealers and buyers. With more drugs, more guns, soaring unemployment, all of these seemed to come to bear at one time. Homicide rates often see cyclical increases and decreases. Factors mentioned previously like poor economies, accessible firearms, family instability, and drug and alcohol abuse often contribute to spikes in the number of homicides. But sadly, community leaders, at least during the late 90s and early 2000s, often waited until homicide numbers increased before they found ways to stop the violence by establishing more solutions and reform. And uh, this is a, the time that the Oxycontin wave where it took years to, for communities to realize the real dangers weren't just coming like from the drug dealers, but also from their own doctors. Yeah, that's true. And that's so it's not scarier, but scary, I guess, in a different way. Someone you think that you should trust. I'm um, wondering if they even understood that, you know, the addictive nature that Oxy presented at that time, because, you know, now, you know, you know, now it's, you know, all over the place. But, you know, back then, I don't know, I had, I um, guess that was the beginning of it. Yeah. So they were probably just like, Oh, my back still hurts. Okay, here's some more. Here's some more Oxycontin. 
you know? Sure. Yeah. And why would you, yeah. If you don't know, why would you think that you just want to help your patient feel better? Right. So it, you know, over, uh, prescribed and then it became a problem. With the amount of crime raging through Pittsburgh in 2003, the police department was also plagued with strained resources to the point where they had to pull in extra detectives from other squads to help with killings, particularly in the Hill District and Lincoln Place. With so many investigations ongoing, they often had to drop everything and run to the new cases, which made it tough to stay on top of their caseload. And I think that's kind of still a problem now and has been a problem for a while with a lot of police investigations. They're just so overloaded. As of October 2003, the city police reached the seventh time that year that they had to investigate multiple homicides in one day. Sadly, on Tuesday, October 28, 2003, Noreen Apjock, 37, became one of those statistics. A man walking his dog discovered her partially clothed, beaten and sexually assaulted body underneath a picnic table inside a pavilion in a wooded section of McBride Park around 9 a.m. The Allegheny County coroner's autopsy later showed she died of asphyxiation due to compression of her neck. So I guess that doesn't really specify whether she was manually strangulated or there was some sort of ligature, but I mean... Oh yeah, I guess not. Details. It was still obviously a very brutal crime and... Either of those is very personal and it's, it's hard. It's hard to strangle someone either way because you, you have to do it for a number of minutes. So that always skeeves me out when I see that that's how someone's died. I know that like movies and stuff really just make it look like it takes like, you know, about 10 seconds and we know, (laughs) you know, it's not, it's, you know, ridiculously long. Yeah, and it takes, you know, a couple minutes for them to pass out and then a couple minutes for them to actually die. So you really have to be committed. So Yeah, and you're close up. An, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look yeah. at them in the face. I mean, I guess if you're doing it, you don't care so much, but yeah, it would seem Terrifying. unnerving. As interviews were being conducted to determine her whereabouts and activities prior to her death, homicide detectives spoke with someone who last saw Noreen walking along 8th Avenue in Homestead about 6 a.m. on the morning of her death. Because she was found at 9 a.m., police believed the next contact she had was probably with her killer. Police also believed Noreen had used crack that morning. A friend saw her walking alone toward the Eaton Park restaurant on 8th Avenue as well. At the time, she was wearing a black thigh-length Steelers jacket, a gray t-shirt, Nike tennis shoes, and jeans. When she was found, her shirt was pulled up, exposing the word mad, tattooed across her stomach in Old English print. Her pants were also pulled down around her ankles, which is why investigators believe she may have been sexually assaulted. Although at the time, police did not know how long Noreen had been in the McBride Pavilion, they did not believe it was an extended period of time. And I don't know if we know, was there a rape kit uh, test done? If they said she was sexually assaulted? Um, I'm not sure. There's not mention of it anywhere. Melanie did speak to a detective who didn't give her much information on that, but he did mention the advancement in technology and DNA helped to further the case. So So I guess they got DNA from the scene then? Yeah, I'm guessing they must have. Or from her body, I guess. 
I'm not sure if they know definitively, like from the autopsy, if she was sexually assaulted. Okay. But some people do stage bodies like that just because, I don't know, they might have a thing against women or they just want to embarrass them even in death. So it does happen that they're staged and they're not actually sexually assaulted. But she was obviously killed in a horrific way. So either way, she suffered quite a bit. So at the time, uh, police offered a $1,000 reward for information that led to an arrest for her killing. They are also quoted as saying, it looks like this will be a difficult case. So at the time, they really knew that they were going to have trouble with it. Uh, There just wasn't a lot to go off of. So Melanie tried to obtain some pictures of Noreen that we could put on our social media. Uh, Apparently, none are online and she couldn't get any sent to her. The only way that we could get photos would be to go to the Pittsburgh police. Um, We're going to work on that and see if maybe we can get at least a photo or two from them. So uh, we can put that up for you guys to see on social media. Uh, Only three months after her death, Pittsburgh police, led by City Crime Unit Sergeant Paul McComb, and with the help of the county coroner's office, began experimenting with RTX. RTX is short for ruthenium tetroxide, a volatile chemical that adheres to the fatty materials in the oil people secrete from hair follicles. That's a little gross, but interesting. The oil is transferred to the fingers when people touch the hair follicles. RTX was designed and sold by a retired chemist who worked in Japanese crime labs for more than 30 years. In 1997, scientific trials showed that RTX liquid or its fumes could highlight fingerprints on skin and other porous materials. But is this something they still use? I've never heard of this. I don't know because this talks about in like the early 2000s. So I'm not quite sure. And if they do, I'm sure it's been developed a lot further. But yeah, (laughs) I have never heard of this either. I feel like it would be something with all, you know, the true crime and everything that I'm sure we all watch and listen to that we would have at least heard of it. I'm wondering if it's called something else now. Maybe. I'm not sure. But you would. I feel like I would have heard about this on Forensic Files. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Exactly. Yeah. I'm not, so I'm not quite sure. I'll have to look into that. So Pittsburgh police bought two $250 bottles of the chemical in January of 2004 from the Japanese chemist who created it and said they were ready to use it in the right case, namely homicides in which police strongly suspect the killer has touched the body. When the article about this new technology was published in 2004, it is interesting to note that Noreen's name was the only one mentioned. The quote is, when Noreen Apjock was found half-naked, beaten, and suffocated in a Lincoln Park picnic shelter in October, police tried to get prints from her body using traditional methods because they did not have RTX at the time. Police were quoted as stating, that's the kind of case we need this for, brutal crimes where the killer may have left behind the only evidence we might get, said Deputy City Police Chief William Mullen. So at first, I thought there was no valuable evidence collected in this case. In such a brutal physical and sexual assault ultimately leading to her death, it seems off that nothing of evidentiary value was found or collected and later tested, especially after the purchase of RTX only a few months later. So it it seems to be that they purchased it but didn't use it. 
or it was too that, late to use it. And it, and I just, it just sounds like they didn't have much evidence from the crime scene at all. So I really wonder what they used now that the DNA has helped them come further along in the case. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I'm not sure. There were rumors that there may have been a baseball cap and other items of interest near where her body was located, but it is believed that these items were not collected, nor was any DNA obtained. Uh, Was this because she was a sex worker and drug user and the caseload at the time was quite extensive for the police department? No, um, back back then and even today. We, you know, not not all police are really good about maintaining the integrity of their crime scenes. So that's true. You know, it, it seems like that's the first thing you want to do is just make sure it's cordoned off. But you know, looking just looking at the Murdoffs in South Carolina after that the boat mm-hmm. accident, how they just let the grandfather and uncle come in with a boat trailer to take the boat out of there. It's like crime yeah. scene. <laughs> You know, so it's kind of, it's, you know, it's really confusing why, you know, sometimes they're just really lackadaisical about, about doing that. And, and I guess maybe to my thoughts is they just didn't put a lot of effort into, you know, sex workers, known, known sex workers and drug addicts. Maybe. I am thinking just... that too. Yeah. Cause we do, you know, we mentioned that she was probably involved in sex work and drug use, but it doesn't make her, I've heard people say this before. It doesn't make her less dead. It doesn't mean she's any less important or Um, less human, right? Less human. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes people in these situations do get treated this way. So it could be a number of things. It could be their overwhelming caseload. It could be newer um, officers that maybe weren't, trained in this or prepared for this. It could be that they were, you know, just not that interested in finding out what happened to her. Although, you know, at the time you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't know just by looking at her that she was involved in drug use and sex work. So it's, it's hard to tell. Unless they knew her if she had a record, but I didn't see that mentioned anywhere. And Mm -hmm. it just also seems she doesn't really have much family to speak of that might have advocated for her, Mm -hmm. you know, when it came to the investigation too, it doesn't seem like there was really anyone. Yeah. And I don't know necessarily about then, but I know now she doesn't really have any family, um, that Melanie was able to speak with. I know the admin of her Facebook page, which I'll post the link to that. Um, I believe is a family friend, which is, fantastic that they're doing that for her but just to not have any close family to advocate that tends to let your case go to the wayside too so I'm actually pretty impressed that this is still this isn't technically a cold case they're still working on it despite great you know the, the new if there's um I think there was something about the cold case unit is is yeah you know picked it up which is great yes that's awesome After briefly talking with a cold case detective a few days ago, uh, that's who Melanie spoke with, uh, he was actually very curious as to why she was calling about the case. 
After simply stating we have a list of hundreds of cases on a list to research, she told him that she was just that uh, Noreen was just someone she picked based on the fact that she was a known sex worker and drug user and thought it would be best to work on someone who may have been considered underserved by the justice system, just like we were just talking about. So this detective did indicate that they, they have been actively pursuing leads throughout the years. Mostly dead ends, but they now believe they know who is involved and may have a suspect due to advances in DNA and other technology. He indicated they know of Noreen's whereabouts beginning at around 3 a.m. on the morning of her death. He also stated that while it was published that the man who discovered her body while walking his dog found her around 9 a.m., it was probably a bit earlier and likely around 9 a.m. when the police began to investigate the scene. This detective, who also worked her case as a homicide detective back in 2003, now works in the cold case department and indicated they are prepared to make a press release within the next month. Uh, What that press release will include, we're not certain. He was unable to give much detail, but he did state, as with any case, we need enough to take to the DA to get them to pursue an indictment. That's wonderful news, though. It is. And I'm like really impressed that he kept on it, especially since there's no known family to keep putting, you know, putting it out there, putting it in the press like we see so often and not just letting it go because there's there's nobody to really be accountable to. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Just continuing to work on it, you know, for 20 years. So like major props to that detective. Yeah. yeah. Just to get her justice. She deserves yep. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm really excited to see what this press release is going to say. So very curious. So we also learned that in August of 2021, legislation was introduced to city council to accept $50,440 from the U.S. Department of Justice. It's the Burn Justice Assistant Grant Program for the Pittsburgh Bureau of Police Homicide Unit to begin a multi-year cold case project. So that's very exciting. He's quoted as saying the funding will be used to utilize the skills and knowledge of retired homicide detectives by hiring them as consultants. The grant will also allow police to invest in state-of-the-art equipment and supplies to allow detectives and consultants to sort through and continue investigating cold homicide cases. This investment will enhance the capabilities of the Pittsburgh Bureau of Police by providing the expertise and technology to ensure the solving of cold cases. So we're hopeful that this grant helped reignite uh, the investigation into Noreen and also other cold cases in the Pittsburgh area because there's plenty of them. We've covered Pittsburgh a lot in this podcast. So here's hoping. So McBride Park is located in the Lincoln Place section in the 31st Ward of Pittsburgh. Uh, And we will actually have a map, um, at least one, posted on our socials and on our blog. Some reports erroneously listed the location of where her body was found as Lincoln Park, but that's not correct. According to a Reddit discussion about the case, people often would incorrectly interchange these names because, quote, no one cares about the 31st Ward, so they never get the name right. And that that's probably someone local that was commenting on Reddit. Lincoln is in close proximity to Munhall, Homestead, and West Mifflin. Uh, Munhall, I hope I did not 
mispronounce that. I've honestly never heard of it before. But McBride Park was known to be a quiet and safe park in the area that included a well-maintained basketball and tennis court, as well as a baseball diamond, swimming pool, and playground. The detective that Melanie spoke with confirmed McBride Park was indeed a quiet, safe park, and many people were shocked that a homicide would occur there. He indicated the pavilion in which she was found was a beautiful old stone structure built in the 1930s and 40s, and since the murder, the building has been left to ruin. Uh, We'll have pictures of that as well. But when I first started reading about this case, I, I just, I couldn't help but imagine the park as kind of like a run-down place and maybe just an old, like, crappy wooden pavilion that was maybe grown over where she was left. But I guess this was, like, a beautifully maintained park. Sounds like it. And I guess they determined that she was killed there and not brought there after. Um, I didn't see anything about that. So I guess it could be either because there really wouldn't be blood to be able to tell you that you know if someone's wounded and they're bleeding a lot you can normally tell if there's not a lot of blood at the scene that's probably not where it happened but this might have been a little bit harder to determine maybe we'll find out in the press conference who knows although the police are putting out a press release within the next month or so it's important we still share with you what we know about noreen It's still crucial that anyone with information come forward, and we are hoping this could only further assist in any of the police efforts. The detective that Melanie spoke with was very encouraged by the fact that we were involved in researching Noreen and was hopeful that we could help in other cases. So that's always great to hear from a detective. Yeah, you would usually think maybe they don't want you know, civilians, I guess, like for lack of a better word, you know, just like poking their nose in or, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, be a amateur sleuth and figure it out, but rather than just bringing awareness to it. Yeah, absolutely. So after finding a justice for Noreen Apjock Facebook site, which was created in 2022, so just last year, Melanie reached out to the admin of the site. So the admin and her family were longtime friends and close neighbors of Noreen's, but she spent most of her time with Noreen as a younger child um, and teenager. She was around 18 or 19 when Noreen was murdered and had moved out of the area at the time of her death due to the increase in crime in that area. So that's kind of crappy in a uh, ironic way, I guess. (laughs) It's really sad. The site has very little activity and very few comments. The admin shared that when she put the site up, people gave her a hard time about it, stating things like a lot of people got their name and pictures out there after it happened and stop playing Scooby-Doo. There's actually a screenshot of this message. I guess that particular Scooby-Doo one. That's pretty messed up. I mean, why would anyone have a problem with her just trying to help? Yeah. Yeah. That always boggles my mind. And it makes the other people seem so fishy to me because why not? Yeah. And just on a global level, mind your business. Yeah. She's an adult. She can do what she wants. Leave her, you know, if this is what she wants to do, who are you to tell her not to? Shut up. And if you're not into it, then don't follow. It's a Facebook. Don't follow it. Pretty simple people. (laughs) Solved it for (laughs) him. 
The admin of Justice for Noreen Abjok never posted any speculation or named names on the site. And even after just asking for a photo of Noreen, again, folks got defensive and basically said things along the lines of, let the police do their job, let it go and move on. She has contacted countless other community pages looking for pictures or information about Noreen and continually gets no response, which is just heartbreaking. You're like, here, let me put some of my time and energy into this. And everyone's just throwing up roadblocks. And nobody clearly cares about this woman and getting this woman any type of justice. Yeah. Man, everyone gets mad. Like People are mad at her and it's there's no reason for it. Yeah, absolutely not. It seems to be the way our culture's going anymore these days. Just, you know, everybody's, you know, angry right off the bat. Yes. It's like, calm down. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> we need to go back to if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything at all. Exactly. Absolutely. Have a Everyone's seat. forgetting yeah. that. <laughs> Honestly. So the, uh, the admin of the site also described Noreen as a very kind-hearted, beautiful, and trusting person who saw the good in everyone and would help anyone in need. Years before her murder, Noreen spent a great deal of time with the admin and her family. She remembers her as always having blonde, spiky hair, always tan, wearing the brightest white sneakers, lots of jewelry, Steeler shirts, and no matter what, always had a smile on her face. So I love when we can really find out about these people because they were people. She wasn't just a sex worker and a drug addict. She was a person. Yeah, it seems like so. she really had an impression on this young lady who started the Facebook site. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She did tend to speak slowly with a bit of a stutter and was known to be a bit, a bit naive and lack street smarts. She was also known to find it hard to differentiate what would be considered a dangerous situation. That combined with her trusting nature often led to people taking advantage of her and potentially her introduction to drug use, sex work, and ultimately her murder, which is super sad. It's always sad when people are naive and just don't think anyone is out to hurt them. They're just trying to be happy and live their life. So as far as Noreen's family goes, there's not much concrete information on them. It is believed she had two daughters and a son. Um, not sure about their names, and was married when she was younger. Although Noreen was able to visit with her kids, her ex-husband apparently relocated with the children to Florida, but she was not in much, um, if any, contact with her children at the time of her murder. So that's really sad. It just doesn't seem like she really had a relationship with them. That is sad. So, yeah. At some point, Noreen's mother got very ill, and Noreen took care of her at her mother's home, uh, which was on or near Ravine Street in Munhall. Possible locations per Melanie's research could be Bronze Street, Hall Street, or Creek Street, if you know where any of those areas are. Her mother and brother both passed away, and then her mother's house that Noreen lived in burnt down. Uh, dates of these events are unknown, as it is unclear if Apjock was her married or maiden name. Sources have indicated it was her married name, but we can't formally confirm that. Some aliases have come up under Noreen Cust 
as well. So that's all interesting information. It's just, it's, she seems like someone that's pretty hard to pin down. So many things are unknown. Yeah. Which is also got to be super hard for the police. So, but it, it sounds like they've been working hard on this. So hopefully it will be a good chunk of information that we find out at the press conference. I hope so. So Noreen was known to date men that treated her poorly, which probably went along with the fact that she was naive and didn't really believe that people were trying to hurt her. That happens um, to a lot of people. They end up dating people that just don't actually know how to treat them. Well, and usually uh, some people prey on people like yes, that specifically. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're they're looking for people like that. Um, and they were looking to take advantage Uh, So one man that she had been with for a long time, Joey, would take her money either from Social Security or disability benefit checks she received, or he would make her go out and sell herself for money, and he would take that. So he was basically pimping her out. Um, It was said that he was a known criminal with an extensive criminal record. I'm not going to mention his whole name in relation to this case, but that's Joey. (laughs) And that's one of the people that she would surround herself with. So she didn't always have relationships with the best people. There is a speculation that he had knowledge of her homicide. So if anyone has any information regarding this case, we encourage you to contact Pittsburgh Homicide and ask to speak with someone who works in the cold case department. That number is 412-323- 7161. And they're available Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, press releases can be found on PittsburghPA.gov site under press releases. And that I'm not exactly sure when the next one will be coming out, but it should be soon, as he said, about within the next month. And by yes, the time we'll this comes out, out. <laughs> yeah, by the time this um, episode comes out, it may be out. So Definitely take a look and then we'll have more information about Noreen and hopefully we'll get our hands on some pictures and I'll put that on our socials and on our blog. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases podcast. Please remember never to reach out to the family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched by Melanie Lees and recorded by me, Grace. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance by Darren Makins. Join us next time for another case to sleuth out.